Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Teddy. All right, imagine. Imagine what? Imagine you're a mother, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's the morning, and you pick up the newspapers. The headlines, two children found dead in Tuapayo, Lorong 7. What would you do? Hide my kids. Don't let them come out. Got a murderer out there. That's right. Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Margaret. And welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we're covering the second part of Adrian Lim, Singapore's monster, The Ritual Murders. To recap, in part one, we went over Adrian's life, how he went from a family man working for Rediffusion Singapore for 14 years into a spiritual medium manipulating and abusing women. In this episode, we are going to go over his ritual murders. In 1976, just a couple of years after he started practicing black magic, he quit his job at Rediffusion and started living off Catherine. What? Like prostitution thing? Yeah. Okay, now that he had no wife and no kids, he could be with Catherine and live exactly how he wanted to. They ended up having a holy marriage. Mm, what's a holy marriage? Alright, so Adrian went into a trance, then he told her that she had to swear obedience to him, kowtow to him. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, some uh, inside joke here about the kowtow. Ring a bell nine times while holding nine joysticks, and if she didn't, she would break her head. Huh? Yeah. Wait, wait, so she had to ring the bell nine times while, while holding, holding nine, nine joysticks. You know, two hands, one at each time. Okay, and then... So if she build, ring the bell like 10 times, <laughs> then how? <laughs> then she break her head, lor. Yeah. So dumb. Okay. Okay, okay. And we already know that Catherine was superstitious, so I think she really believed it that she, if she like wasn't obedient to him, she would like break her head. Ayo, poor girl. Yeah. So brainwashed. Do this cult. Okay, and when that started, the physical abuse also started. Alright, so he'll beat her for all sorts of stupid reasons. The first time that he beat her was because she didn't want to take her antibiotics. Alright. Yeah, that's good. She should finish a course on antibiotics. <laughs> He's going to encourage more MRSA, VRE, CPCRE around. <laughs> but still, don't beat your wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, don't beat your wife. That's very bad. But eat your antibiotics. Yes. Okay, then after that, he would beat her because she wasn't a good enough prostitute and wasn't servicing her clients enough. Alright, and like sometimes... How he know? He wouldn't see her. <laughs> And sometimes he'll just beat her for no reason at all. She'll just be like, well, I feel like beating you, so I'm just going to beat you up. 
Oh my god, she really like Stockholm Syndrome now. Yeah, she felt like she wasn't earning enough money as a prostitute and as a bagel. So he was like, you know what? You know what? You gotta be a stripper as well. (laughs) (laughs) Adding to the list. (laughs) Yeah, so he forced her to be a stripper. And now that he had the house to himself, he had a space to work out of, right? So he started working as a spiritual medium, as a Bomorgan. And finally, for some reason, he, he felt like he needed to do this. In June 1977, he marries her officially, like ROMs with her. I think it's, it's all part of the Stockholm Syndrome thing, to make her feel more and more invested in these shenanigans. Yeah. Okay. So he passes on his own fucked up beliefs he convinces her that to remain young and beautiful because you know for him to be healthy he needs to have sex with young women right he he convinces her that to remain young and beautiful she has to have sex with young men and swallow their semen Mm, so i guess i think this is just an excuse to make her a better prostitute (laughs) i don't know man it's just them fucked up okay Alright, so she protein, en- protein shake every day. <laughs> she ends up having sex with a teenager, like just a teenager who used to come to his house to pick up medication for his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky him. <laughs> oh unlucky him. Unlucky him. Does she have S T D? I don't know, it's like pedophile. Like if even if she's a woman having sex with a male teenager, is she's still a pedophile. It's still them fucked up because he's a kid. Now this is the fucked up part. She ends up having sex with a sixteen year old younger brother. Her younger brother? Her younger brother. Ew, incest much. Is them <laughs> gross. It's like basically sexual abuse of her younger brother, you know? And this one Adrian Lim asked her to do one. Yeah, eh? this one Adrian Lim asked her to do one. Oh, you <laughs> really testing her obedience, huh? Yeah. Okay. And Adrian, ayo, he got the heart problems. So he needs to have sex with other younger women. Alright? If not he'll if not he'll die. So he even convinces others, like a eighteen year old student, that she had to sleep with him to stay young and pretty. And somehow Adrian was such a smooth talker that he also convinced this student to become a prostitute. (laughs) Give him the money also. And send him the money. And she did that for years and years and at one point she was sending him like six to seven K a month. Why? Because she was like Malaysian, so she'll be a prostitute in Malaysia and send him money from Malaysia, like six to seven K a month. Alright, so life goes on like this for a while, and now we're going to fast forward to 1979. Alright, in 1979, this superstitious older auntie, she brings her daughter, who has mental health issues, to come and see Adrian. Alright? Oh boy. So she does electroshock therapy. He shocks the mother, shocks the daughter. Oh, the mother also. <laughs> I, I don't know, but like, actually, like, it's not super off base because electroshock therapy used to be used like quite a lot even in like yeah in psychotherapy right? yeah even in regular like mental institutions not like but why shock the mother <laughs> I, I, I don't know la. having a lot of fun <laughs> okay so he drugs and rapes the daughter and he does the whole needle and egg thing after raping her uh... yeah and so they do this for like one whole month and I don't, I don't know if it really did anything. I seriously doubt it. But the mom is so happy with the treatment. What? <laughs> that she brings her other daughter, Ho Ka Hong, to see Adrian. So Ho Ka Hong, important person. Ho Ka Hong is the last member of this deadly trio, the unholy trinity. Alright? Wait, who's the trio? The... Adrian, Catherine, and Ho Ka Hong. Oh. Yeah. She was the third child in a family of six children, and her father died when she was eight. 
After that, she was sent to live with an auntie in Penang and she returned to Singapore when she was 15. She helped her mom run a food shop, a canteen stall in a school, and she eventually ends up working for HP, you know, the Hewitt Packard. Ah, Packard. Ah, yeah. The printer, yeah. yeah, as a factory worker. Now, around 1974 to 1975, she ends up meeting this guy called Benson Lowe, also known as Ahua. So, initially, Benson wooed her, but she basically was like, uh, and then she turned him down. Mm. Okay? And after two to three years, he wore her down, and she eventually accepted. But her mom didn't really like Benson, because Benson was unemployed. Yeah, so I can see why. Yeah. But eventually, she was like, alright, and she gave her consent, and they ended up marrying when Kahong was 22 years old. So even though her life was generally happy, her immediate family had a kind of tenuous relationship. The Benson, ah. Uh, no, her, her and her family. Oh. So remember her sister, the, the one that her mom initially took to meet Adrian? So she'll get jealous for all sorts of like reasons and she'll just like slap her. She'll slap Kahong for no reason. I mean, she, she got mental problem, what? That's why she, the mother brought her to see you. Yeah, but the mother will play favourites. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. normal Singaporean family. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, she meets Adrian and Adrian convinces her that he's super powerful and that she had her dead father's spirit in her and that her mom, her own mother, put like a evil spell on her. Alright? She was so convinced, right? He even made her drink his urine. If which if you remember, it would make her fall for him. Alright? <laughs> so there's like some double crossing black magic right there, okay? So Adrian Lim told Kahong that her husband and her parents, so her husband and her parents, Benson and her parents, cast evil spells on her and that Benson would eventually force her into prostitution once they started living together and that her Benson, her husband was living off other women and had hostesses and a mistress in JV. Sounds like what Adrian is doing to his fierce wife. Yeah, alright, it sounds like Adrian Lim, right? Okay, so she ends up being his holy wife. And they end up having sex, especially because Adrian told her if she had sex, his power would pass to her, his mystical medium powers. Hmm. Okay, so he convinces her to steal everything from her mother and to leave home. And she tries to, but her siblings stop her. Siblings are like, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Kahong runs away, and she runs away to stay in Adrian Lim's flat. And when her mother comes for her, Adrian Lim and her, they attacked her with a broom. They attacked the mother with a broom. Ayo. And Adrian Lim poured urine over the mother. So now the mother likes Adrian Lim. <laughs> <laughs> no, she never drink. He just like go and throw the urine at her, which I is see. damn gross. Like, it's damn disgusting. Different applications of urine. Yeah, so Kahong's husband, Benson, she, he visits her to try to get her to come back. And Adrian thought he was he was playing some kind of game because he also let the husband stay over in another room in the house. Very weird. Yeah, and because she thought that her husband was living off other women and had a mistress, because that's what Adrian told her, she was like, ew, gross, don't touch me. Mm. Yeah, she was like, just, she freaking hated him. Alright, so another stupid test. Adrian told her, you know what, if Benson really loves you, he'll let you put a pet on his head. <laughs> <laughs> is he gonna like sacrifice that pet to the that I sex don't goddess thing like so he'll let you put a used panty and a dirty pet on on his head and so she she tried to la then obviously like <laughs> he's grossed out obviously. yeah he's grossed out like 
I would not let anyone put a used panty in her bed <laughs> on my head. Okay, and then she's like, oh no, he doesn't love me. Adrian was right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Confirmation bias. So she's convinced and she convinces him to go and do electroshock therapy with her. Okay, and that him and Kahong were going to do it together. And so Adrian was like, okay, so here's how we're going to do it for you, you married couple. We're going to cover your face with a black cloth so that you can't see anything and then you, you got to lock your arms so you're together. Alright? I think what happened here, I think it was very intentional. I, I, I guess he killed the guy. Yeah, so Kahong lost consciousness and when she came to, Benson was dead. Electroshock to death. Yeah, so they lied to the police. They say that he died from an electrocution while trying to turn on a broken fan. And this was Adrian Lim's first victim. Mm, the first guy he ever killed. Ah. Yeah. It's now 1980s, alright? Adrian, he meets a cosmetics sales girl and her name is Lucy Lau. He convinces her that her grandmother's spirit is haunting her. And Lucy, you know the only solution, right? Is to have sex with me. That sounds ridiculous. Okay, so Adrian and Catherine, his first holy wife, they drug her and Adrian basically raped and sodomized her. Wow, it's the first time we hear this sodomized thing, ah. Eh? Yeah. Getting bored of old rape. So she woke up and she realized what happened and she was crying. And according to Adrian, somehow they ended up having sex <laughs> four more times. Wow, he can really sell ice to eat the Eskimos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was until November when Lucy's parents, they went to the flat to borrow 3K. But instead of 3K, Adrian only lent them $700. And a couple of days later, I don't know if like maybe the dad had a chat with the daughter or something like that. Like, hey, your Adrian friend, ah. And then he comes back to Adrian's flat and be like, what happened? What happened? What happened with my daughter? Alright. And they get into a fist fight. The police are called in and Lucy and her parents, they file a rape charge at the Tuapayo police station. Alright. Both the dad and Adrian, they are let out on bail. But because they are on bail, they have to check into the police station every fortnight, right? Okay, and this pissed Adrian off. He wanted some revenge. And you know how he was going to do it? How? He was going to kill children. How does that got to do with this at all? <laughs> I have no idea. But that was like his train of thought. That's how fucked up he was. Yeah. Okay. This wouldn't just distract the police, right? He was going to sacrifice the children to Kali. And he convinced his two main holy wives that this is what he needed to do to get revenge on Lucy. So his wives, who are by now brainwashed, indoctrinated, and both of them were like heavily physically abused. Because remember, he would beat Catherine for like no reason at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they even thought for a moment if what they were doing was wrong. And they went with it and they started looking for their first victim. So the main person looking was Ka Hong, his second holy wife. Um, even though technically at that point of time, he also had something like 40 other holy wives. But these were the two main ones that stayed with him. Mm, the two most brainwashed ones. Yeah, so Ka Hong did most of the searching. The first girl that she brought home was a 10-year-old Indian girl. And then Adrian took one look at the girl and he rejected her because she was Indian 
and he worshipped some Hindi gods and I think he didn't want to offend the Hindi gods by sacrificing. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I don't know the logic there lah. I but mean Mayan people sacrifice Mayan people to the Mayan gods, right? Yeah, so I don't know what's his train of thought going on over there. Yeah, but we already know that Adrian isn't like the, the most logical yeah. guy ever. Okay, so Kahong brought back another young Chinese girl and she picked up this girl from somewhere in Clementi. But she was rejected because she was too skinny. Yo, <laughs> won't the girl like go to her parents after she got released and then tell them like, hey, people are like kidnapping kids and they want to like do something weird to me. Yeah, but nothing happened to me. So like... <laughs> so lucky lor. Just cause I'm too skinny. <laughs> oh my god, we would, ha- we would not have... <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't be spared. We're not exactly on the skinny side. Okay, so after that, third time's the charm. And she brings back Agnes. On 24th January 1981, Kahung saw Agnes in a church in Tuapayo. And Agnes was waiting for her sister to finish her religious class, alright? So, Agnes was 9 years old. And she was a primary tree student in Holy Innocence Primary School. She was known as bright, cheerful, and she was just a very obedient kid to her parents. Let me guess why he tried to kidnap as in why he liked this Agnes girl is it cause she goes to church is she a Roman Catholic <laughs> no I, I don't know but like I see an ongoing theme here yeah but imagine kidnapping a child from a church how screwed up is that okay so Kahong somehow she like talked to Agnes and she lured Agnes into a flat right and it was like less than 1km away from the church and when she was in the flat they fed her drugs food and drug drinks and I think that was like when people were like you make sure your kids don't anyhow eat food from other people. Oh, true. Yeah. And when she was sedated, Adrian, and Adrian, we already knew that he was like massively screwed up in the head. He sexually abused her. He raped her and he sodomized her. Ayo, yeah. Yes, only. Yeah. And then she was still alive and it was almost midnight when they killed her. And it was very long and it was very... Yeah, so they smothered her to death with a pillow and like they drew her blood and then they drank some of it and then they smeared some more on a portrait of Kali and then she wasn't even dead then and then finally they drowned her to death by holding her head in a pail of water and just to make sure, just to confirm that she was dead he used his electroshock machine on her body Ayo, very violent. Like, she struggled to stay alive, but despite that, she died. Yeah. After that, they stuffed her body in a bag. Then they dumped it in a lift near Block 11, Tuapayo, Lorong 7. Okay? And in the meantime, Agnes's sister and her family, they were in a complete panic. The family started looking for her, and they reported her disappearance to Tuapayo police station, because this is a missing nine-year-old girl. Mm. But Adrian wasn't done yet. So Kahong went looking for another victim. Alright, so this time, Adrian wanted a boy. On 4th February, just a week or so after Agnes's death, they found 10-year-old Ghazali Mazuki. So according to some sources, Kahong chose Ghazali because he looked like her husband, the one she killed, Benson. Mm. Yeah. And... Ghazali was the youngest of three sons. He was 10 years old, a year older than Agnes, and he was a primary four student in Henry Park Primary School. So on that day, Ghazali was on the way from his family's flat 
in Holland close to his grandma's house in Clamondy to a weekend. That's where he was on 6 Feb. Alright, so he stayed like the weekend over. So, uh, Kahong likes to go to Clementi and <laughs> <laughs> kidnap children. I see like either Topaya or Clementi, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe she prostitute at Clementi yeah. and go home to Topaya. Don't know, leh, don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, he, on 6 February, he was playing in the playground near his granny's house, right? And he was playing with his two cousins. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, comes Kahong, and she was dressed in blue and wearing sunglasses. And it was very odd. She was like, can one of you boys help me fetch something from a friend's house? Hmm. Yeah, and and Ghazali agreed, and he even got in a taxi with her. Wow, very sus eh. Yeah. This was the last time that he was seen alive by his family. Hmm. So they tried to do the same thing, but... I think they didn't account for his weight. Or maybe he, he like, different bodies process drugs the, yeah. differently, right? Yeah. The CYP450. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's an enzyme in the liver. Yeah. So, Ghazali was, he was just very resistant. And so, Adrian tied him up, you know, to, like, maybe, like, hold him until he fell asleep. But instead of falling asleep, right, he, he panics, he wakes up, and he starts struggling. Alright, and they freaked out because what if he escapes, right? Because at this point, they already tied him up. How, how sus is that? Mm. So they karate chop him <laughs> in the neck. They, they, watch, they watch Chinese movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but like the way it's described, they karate chop him in the neck, okay? Oh my god. Okay, and it is ridiculous. And, and they do the same thing. They drew his blood and then they drowned him. And because of how violently he died, right? Being drowned mm. and like just violently held down by the three of them... His nose kept bleeding. So after that, Catherine stayed back to clean the flat after they killed him and had the blood and everything. And then Adrian and Kahong, they dragged Ghazali's body under a tree between Block 10 and 11 in Tuapayo, Lorong 7. Around the same place they dumped the first body. Yeah. So, Very sad. So uh, if you're buying a resale flat in Tuapayo, Lorong 7, um, yeah, just uh, look out for these two spirits. Uh. Uh, buyers beware. <laughs> When the body was examined, um, there wasn't any sexual assault, but they did find three burn marks and the puncture marks on his arm. Okay, and at that point of time, the police were already looking for Agnes's killer. So finding Ghazali's body would have sent them into a panic because there's some psycho out there killing... Yeah, I've got another one, right? Yeah, killing children. So I think at that point of time, parents, they were even pulling their kids from school. They were like, you know what, you don't go to school this week, you don't go to school today, there's somebody out there. Yeah, because Agnes, like, after her religious class, she got kidnapped. Yeah, after her class, she got kidnapped. And Ghazali literally got taken from a playground. Yeah. So the policemen, they start looking at the flats where the bodies are found. And we know that Singaporean policemen from the cases that we cover are generally quite good, right? Mm. They yeah. They always find out who's the real killer. Okay, so they find the first blood stain between block 10 and 11. And then they keep tracing it. Because remember, Ghazali's nose was bleeding the mm. whole time. They find a second one at a staircase at block 12. That's right, Adrian's block. So they tromp up the stairs and they find a third, fourth, fifth bloodstains leading them to level 7. <laughs> and on level 7, they meet Adrian Lim, unit 467F. Alright, they asked to search the flat and the police were a bit freaked out. I mean, the, the whole flat was a bit freaky. So imagine you're a policeman, you walk in, they had the altars, they had the crucifixes, they had heads, 
and the, like the pictures of different deities on the wall and there was this Indonesian puppet right you know the wayang puppet ah the wayang kulit ah. with the arms and it held like a, a knife like a real knife oh <coughs> I mean wayang kulit usually don't have knife one leh yeah so that's quite scary the police find a blood stain in the kitchen but Adrian was like no that's candle wax but it wasn't lah Alright, so they call in more police to search and they literally find a piece of paper, like a piece <laughs> of paper <laughs> oh, with Agnes and Ghazali's name written on it. And then Adrian was like, no, so this boy did come to my house but he had a nosebleed so I treated him and gave him $5 and Ghazali left because he's so generous, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the police called bullshit but Adrian, he stayed calm until somehow they 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 mention a rape charge all right or oh, they search their system like then the computer record show that, like he that. Got rape charge. yeah oh but i think this was like in 1980 something so oh, like the electronic record is called their brain their memory <laughs> yeah so they get aggressive and freak out and the police they already suspect that something is up they take adrian katrine and kahong in at 11:25 a.m High Court started on 25th March, 1983. So what's interesting is that there were two judges of, on the case. One of which was Judge Tirugana, who was actually the same judge that would preside over the John Martin Scripps case, which was actually one of our first ever cases on a briefcase. Episode 3, John Martin Scripps, The Garden City Butcher. So can you imagine presiding over two of the most awful cases in Singapore crime history. Adrian and his wife's defense was that they were mentally unsound. Alright? And the prosecution's response to that was that it's very incredible uh, that three people with different mental illnesses would share the same delusion that a god wanted them to kill children. Mm, It sounds like they consciously did it. Yeah, so it was 25th May, 1983, and this was a massive case in Singapore. So there were crowds gathered outside, and everybody wasn't just capable, they were invested. They wanted to know what was going to happen. All three were found guilty of the murders and sentenced to death. And Adrian was a bit, a bit deluded, so after he was sentenced, he said, Thank you, my lords. And Adrian basically accepted his fate, but his two wives didn't. So his two wives, they appealed to the Court of Criminal Appeal, then to London's Privy Council, and then even to the president at that time, President Wee Kim Wee, but none of their appeals was successful. And I'm not sure if it was to help their appeal or if they really felt remorse after they were freed from Adrian's grasp because, you know, they were finally like away from his abuse and everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, they converted to Catholicism and they sought forgiveness and they even did Holy Communion and everything. Okay, and closer to his death, right, we don't know whether Adrian was really sorry or he suddenly scared, but he also asked for absolution and Holy Communion because, like, remember when he married his very, very first wife, he did convert to Catholicism. Yeah. So he converted back to Catholicism. I I guess so. Like, I think maybe he's scared because, like, Oh, he's grasping at straws now. Like, death is looming, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and he did kill, like, three people. So, on 25th November, 1988, 
they were given their last meal and executed by long drop hanging. They had a Catholic funeral mass and were cremated. Thanks for being on this stupid case, Margaret. Thanks for inviting me. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, it's a very big juicy burger of a case. I hope you listeners enjoyed this two-parter as well. You can find us on Instagram at a briefcase podcast and online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And as always, do join us next week for another briefcase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.